you have probably read a news article that was written by a machine. When earnings reports come out or a series of sports events like the Olympics occurs, there are so many small stories that need to be written that a news organization like the Associated Press would have to use all of its resources to write enough content to cover all of the stories going on. Wordsmith is a tool for automated content generation, and today's guest, Robbie Allen, is the CEO of Automated Insights, the company that makes Wordsmith. In today's episode, he talks about the wide range of uses for automated content and why it's not going to steal jobs. We also talk about how to engineer a product that takes data from a spreadsheet and turns it into a human-readable sentence. Robbie is also speaking at the O'Reilly Artificial Intelligence Conference in New York, September 26th through 27th, if you're interested in checking that out. Before we get to this episode, a few quick announcements. If you're interested in advertising on Software Engineering Daily, send me an email, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. There are more than 14,000 engineers that listen to Software Engineering Daily on a regular basis, so it's a great place to get your product out into the ears of developers or to advertise available jobs that you might have at your company. Also, if you're an engineer that's looking for an open source project to work on, check out Software Daily at softwaredaily.com. This is an open source news and information site about software. It's being led by Jeff Tribble, a member of the Software Engineering Daily community. You can also check out softwareengineeringdaily.com, which is the website for this podcast. You can find links to the Slack channel, my Twitter account, my email. You can find a link to sign up for our newsletter, Software Weekly. And with that, let's get to today's episode. Robbie Allen is the CEO of Automated Insights. Robbie, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks for having me. At Automated Insights, you are building a tool called Wordsmith. What is Wordsmith? Yeah, Wordsmith is a natural language generation platform that helps people structure narratives or stories in a way that you can apply a data set and create um, dozens, hundreds, even thousands of outputs from a single structure. Why is that useful? So it's useful in situations where um, you need to do data-driven reporting or data-driven storytelling. Um, you know, a couple of uh, examples that have been pretty widely covered are some of our work around earnings reports for the Associated Press, where we take earnings data that's generated by every public company every quarter and turn that into earnings reports that sound like a person wrote them. Um, very data-driven. You know, we, we're more focused on quantitative uh, analysis than qualitative, but still, these have been um, in place for a couple of years with the AP, and um, we've been in business since 2010, uh, generating over a billion pieces of content a year at this point. For the people who are reading this content that get, gets generated why would the people rather read the content rather than just reading the data itself? Well, the before I did Automated Insights, I actually created a sports analytics website called Statsheet. 
And what I did with StatSheet was actually create all sorts of interesting metrics and visualizations around sports data. Well, what I found was that while there is a, a rabid fan base of stat geeks, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, that's actually a pretty small audience. In fact, most people, what they prefer is just to have uh, the insights described in very plain English, right? They, they don't want to go through the mental gymnastics of trying to decipher a complex or even a simple visualization. They'd rather just understand, um, you know, in, in their native language, what's going on with the data. And so that was really sort of the impetus behind automated insights was instead of requiring everybody to be a data analyst or a data scientist, you know, we can boil down these insights into plain English so that they're accessible by virtually anyone. And when we think about sentences and paragraphs that are consumable and desirable to be consumed by humans, we often think of the flourishes that a good writer will put into their writing. Are those flourishes actually important to having good written content, or is it really just the fact that the sentence bears some resemblance to the types of conversations that we're having day to day? So it totally depends on the type of content you're talking about. So, for example, one of the implementations we've had running the longest is with Yahoo, where we generate Yahoo fantasy football recaps um, during the fantasy football season. And so Yahoo has several million fantasy users. And each week after the season's over or after the week's over, uh, we generate a recap for every matchup that occurred on their platform. So it's several million uh, recaps that happen every single week. And those are pretty snarky in nature. So, in fact, that was sort of the feedback that Yahoo gave us is that they wanted them to be humorous. They wanted them to be snarky. They wanted to encourage, you know, they wanted to highlight the things you did well, but also highlight the things you didn't do well. Um, because what we found was that that encouraged people to play even more, right? They wanted to prove the, the recap wrong or they wanted to show Yahoo that uh, they were a better player than maybe what their recap had had described. And again, those, those, you know, could have a particular tone versus, you know, getting back to the AP earnings reports, they have a very sort of, um, you know, financially oriented tone that, you know, there's no humor in those. Um, but there's no reason why you can't have either kind of depending on the setting. Are you saying that humor or tone or snark, these are things that can be automated just like completely dry reports? Absolutely. In fact, um, you know, even saying a, a simple sentence like, um, you know, you, you had a good quarter, you know, that, that sounds very subjective. Um, you know, you had a good quarter. What is what does good mean? Um, but actually, you, there's no reason why you can't, um, you know, make that very quantitative in nature, right? That you can you can put a formula, you can create an algorithm to define what good is in it, almost any setting, right? It could be in an earnings report or a fantasy football recap, Um and if, if you can describe something as good, then you can also, you know, make a, a snarky comment about something being good or bad uh, that, again, is very data driven. Um, but there's no reason why you can't have that level of tonality built into it, just as you do in your normal everyday speech. Hmm. If we're talking about earnings reports or fantasy football statistics and we want to translate those data sets into written content that will be consumable by human readers. What is the format that a typical data set needs to be in in order to be consumed by Wordsmith and generated into human readable content? 
Yeah, so we with words. So Wordsmith has an API, um, which means you know it, it has a ton of flexibility in terms of um, you know what you can do with the data and, and also the content. Currently, we support a a you know sort of single row of data per report type of model, where you essentially have to flatten all the data into a single row um, that could then be accessed within a Wordsmith uh, NLG template. Um, and, and again, we tried to create this, you know, try to create an, an editor experience, um, you know, that was sort of, you know, comfortable and, and it didn't seem like this complicated thing. You know, what we found is that, you know, NLG on its face is is not necessarily an intuitive type of thing for a lot of users, right? This trying to build conditional logic into your prose is not something that comes easy to a lot of people. So we tried to create a very flexible and easy to use editor. Um, and therefore, we tried to create the, you know, keep the data requirements fairly simple. The things that we had built in the past had all sorts of complex data, you know, multi-table arrangements, um, you know, lots of data uh, crunching and, and things that went on behind the scenes. Um, that's what our internal platform does. What Wordsmith does is, you know, essentially providing tools to help you structure stories. And we kind of leave the, the data computation piece of it out of the equation, at least for now. When we are learning to write, whether it's in high school English class or just working on our own, getting better as writers, we are not thinking, in most cases, about how can we write a narrative that has a per, like permutations built in for all future purposes of when I would want to use that narrative in. So it sounds like that's the challenge that you were encountering in the early days of building wordsmith is how do you give people an a, an intuitive experience for creating content structure that can be permuted across all these different instances of a data set like if you need if you want to do the earnings reports thing you you need to write a narrative that for a generalized instance of an earnings report but that generalized instance needs to be able to fit with each of the rows in the the set of earnings reports and it sounds like building that generalizable permutative experience was not simple that's right and it's just for the exact reason that you hit on that um you know most people you know in fact one of the things i think is both an opportunity and a challenge for us is if you think of all the areas um, of our daily lives where technology has had an impact over the last, you know, 20, even 30 years. I mean, it's just about every aspect of our life, right? Technology has had some, some major, um, some major role. But if you think about the writing process, that's actually not changed a whole lot in the last 20 years, right? I mean, we have software now as opposed to mechanical, you know, typewriters or even, digital word processors or whatever, but the, the, the process of writing um, is not really that much different than how you would have done it in grade school. Wordsmith really is, is one of the first areas where, you know, we're really innovating on the writing process and we're doing that by essentially changing how people write. So there's an opportunity there, right? Because, you know, we're going to enable you to do so much more, but there's also a challenge because this isn't something you're familiar with. Um, and what we found is that the more, you know, more technically inclined people, the people that, you know, have a, an understanding of data and how to manipulate data tend to do 
the best um, out of the gate. But we're, we're also encouraged by some of our early customers that even someone that just you know has a really knack, good knack for writing and especially in a sort of data-driven environment can also pick it up. Mm. So I want to step through a little bit of how you use the text editor. So if I am a writer for the Associated Press, for example, and I want to write some way to generate content for all of the earnings reports. So I sit down in front of the Wordsmith text editor. How do I get started writing with this this narrative that is going to be able to permute across all of the different earnings reports? Yeah, so much like with just the sort of standard writing process, the the way in which you use Wordsmith can vary, right? So one way that you may get started is just to write an earnings report, right? So you you know, say you've never had experience sort of creating a, a, a you know automated content or really trying to understand all the different permutations. One way is just to start with one permutation, right? Let, let's just create what an earnings report is, and then you can go in and start. Um, figuring out, all right, what aspects of this could change, you know, based on the underlying data. Um, so, you know, there's a, a place where it said that, you know, there was an increase in revenue this quarter compared to last quarter. Well, you know, it's not too hard to imagine that there's probably also the chance that there could be a decrease. And so now we need to go in and um, account for that. And currently in the Wordsmith editor, there's really sort of three different things that you can do um, you know, to, to sort of embellish standard text. One is you can add a data variable, which is what we call, um, you know, essentially just pl- placing in a, a, a cell of data into the, you know, into the narrative. So you can, you can change, um, you know, say there's a number. So the revenue increased um, to 230 million. 230 million could be a data variable. The second thing is what we call a synonym, which could either be simply just a, a word replacement, or it could even be a whole sentence or even paragraph replacement, which will just randomly choose between you know any of the options you select. So if we said it had a good increase, it had a, a great increase, it had a um, you know above average increase, you could have all these different words that are essentially act as synonyms. And then the third thing is called a branch, and for us, a branch is a way to essentially um, have a derivation of, of the text. And again, this could be at a word level, it could be at a sentence level or a paragraph level where you could essentially wrap conditions around that text occurring, right? So, you know, we want to talk about revenue going up, you know, or maybe we want to talk about revenue going down or we don't want to talk about revenue at all. We could create a branch that says if revenue, you know, this quarter revenue greater than last quarter revenue, then talk about revenue going up. Else, if revenue this quarter is lower than revenue last quarter, then talk about it going down. Otherwise, talk about profit margin. You know, the, the, those are the, sort of the three tools that you're given, um, you know, to, to help understand and, and craft one of these structures. So from a programmer's point of view, this would look something like a switch statement where you're going to switch on the synonym you use or the branch of text type that you use based on what the contents of a given column in a given row are. Correct. Okay. So Yeah, you can almost think of them as like if if then else type logic flows. Right. So so whether I'm writing a series of product reviews or analyses of sports games or obituaries, I can write 
one version of it, and then I can label specific aspects of that analysis of a sports game or the product review, and I, I can just label an aspect of it and say, hey, this is a area that is going to permute based on if uh, a certain aspect of this row in the database uh, changes and um, you know, along with different branches and different synonyms, these permutations are going to seem more natural. Is that accurate? Okay. So is this the same thing that, like, when when you had human content creators, like maybe five or ten years ago, when, you know, if, if, if you needed a fleet of human content creators to write all of the results from basketball games or, I don't know, fantasy football games, if, if those were actually being written five or ten years ago. Is this what they were essentially doing five or ten years ago? Yeah, so if you think about what Wordsmith enables, um, it, it's essentially the same process that a human goes through when they're writing, right? So imagine you put, um, you know, a, a million fantasy football recap stories that need to be written in front of a person, you know, what is the thought process that they go through when they're creating those, right? And it's a very similar type of thing, right? It's a, all right, so there's some, uh, you know, heuristics I'm going to use related to, you know, if, if a team blew out their opponent or if they had a player that scored the most points um, in the whole league or if it was a really close matchup or if it was a come-from-behind victory, right? You have sort of a set of topics that you would potentially draw from depending on what happened in the underlying data. And then you would then go about writing and crafting a story based on what, what happened, right? It, you can think about what Wordsmith does is very similar, except instead of you doing it on a one-off basis, we help you encapsulate all of that logic into a single NLG template that you can then use to, um, you know, essentially run with, without you having to do anything except feed it data. Mm-hmm. So in a company that is creating automated content, whose responsibility is it to use Wordsmith? Do the people who used to write these masses of content, do they now use Wordsmith? Yeah, so it really depends on, um, you know, we have a variety of of industries using Wordsmith. In fact, when we we first launched the beta back in October of 2015, um, you know, you had to request access. And the request access, you had to select which industry you, you belong to. And there were 42 industries in that list. Well, within the first week, all 42 industries had been selected by people that had requested access. And so, um, you know, for good or for bad, Wordsmith is a generally applicable platform that applies across a bunch of different industries. And one of the challenges with that is that means, you know, each industry, the, the type of person that uses it might differ a little bit. You know, we've seen everything from, um, you know, digital marketing folks to data analysts, to data scientists, to developers, um, to even executives, you know, like the VP of, of analytics at, uh, you know, sports franchise. So we've seen it kind of all over the map. Um, like I said, you know, what we've seen to be the most successful early on are folks that do have, you know, some basis or understanding of at least conditional logic, right? Because that's the, the key when you're really starting to craft some of these, um, you have to be able to understand how to, you know, structure the story with conditional logic in a way that allows you to capture, you know, most of the key um, topics and, and ways that the story may, may turn out. I can imagine 
these certain domains where wordsmith makes a ton of sense like these product reviews or earnings reports and i can also imagine scenarios where it it obviously does not make sense like an editorial maybe an editorial written about you know why uh, donald trump is you know a viable candidate versus hillary clinton or something like that where there's not really uh it doesn't make sense to have wordsmith be doing the work are there any areas that you feel are somewhere in between where you feel like wordsmith should be able to work or maybe you're just on the cusp of of getting it to work um, or you've been surprised that uh, by its effectiveness or ineffectiveness what are the areas that are right in the margins between these more obvious automatable areas and the ones that are not automatable yeah it's a good question i mean you know we're seeing it's still pretty early days, you know, even though we've been at this a while, now that we have a self-service platform in Wordsmith that essentially enables anyone to, to try it out, um, you know, at, at a relatively affordable price, um, you know, we're seeing all sorts of use cases that we never would have anticipated or never would have targeted, um, you know, on our own. Everything from, uh, you know, nonprofit type of reporting to integrations with, you um, you know, BI solutions like Tipco and Tableau um, to e-commerce product descriptions. Um, and, and I would say, you know, e-commerce is kind of an interesting one. Um, on the one hand, it's, it's a perfect type of fit for Wordsmith because generally you have a whole catalog of, you know, maybe hundreds or thousands of products and you need to create descriptions that you're going to put on your site and, and you know, you know, hopefully they'll be attractive and attract users and, and do well in SEO. The big challenge that we've seen there, though, is the, the data isn't always, um, you know, as good as it needs to be. And that really is sort of a key with NLG specifically is that, you know, not only does it need to be a sort of a good, you know, ability to have a narrative to, to talk about the data, you also have to have the data. And if the data is not in good shape, then that's going to be problematic um, to create the narrative. And so that's kind of, you know, the, the, the challenge that you have to consider when you're thinking about, you know, what, what makes a good NLG type of um, automated story? Well, there has to be the story, but then there also has to be data to support that story. Mm. So there might be these domains where the data is less clean, the data is less consistent, and that makes it more challenging to generalize uh, a narrative around that data. That's right. Um, and I would say that tends to be the biggest challenge for us. It's very rarely, um, you know, that we talk to people and they're like, yeah, it's just not a fit for us or, you know, we can't see any application for this. In fact, it tends to be the opposite, which is, all right, I can think of five or six use cases for this. And we have to say, well, let's, what's the one, you know, to start with? <laughs> the bigger challenge generally comes down to, well, I can think of five or six cases, but I don't, I can't necessarily get all the data for it. And so data tends to still be the long pole in the tent um, as far as, you know, figuring out how to make Wordsmith work. Let's talk about the engineering of Wordsmith. Can you give me a description for the technology stack at Wordsmith? Yeah, so we're a, a completely cloud-based solution, um, although we we do have an on-premise capability now. Capability now. Um, we run everything on Amazon. We've been you know using Amazon since two thousand nine or two thousand ten. Um, you know, we've used a little bit of everything as far as Amazon services goes, but specifically for Wordsmith, 
Um, you know, it's a pretty standard stack these days. Um, you know, we're a, a Ruby shop. Um, we use Angular on the front end. Um, you know, we use Postgres for the database. We use um, S3 for storage. Um, you know, it, it's a, it's it's pretty standard as far as, as that as that goes. Hmm. So a human has to generate the first version of the content for you know a given. Uh, narrative that is going to permute through these different versions of the data. And then you're going to add synonyms and branching statements and things like that. Give me a sense of the data structures that are being used to generate this narrative and the permutative abilities of that narrative. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, as far as the data goes, we've seen a little bit of everything from, from clients, you know, everything from simple data sets, you know, 10, 15 columns to, um, you know, figuring out what is going to be our limit, you know, what's the limit on the number of columns that we can support? Uh, because we've had some people that have come back and said, all right, we want to have a thousand column data set uh, that we want to add. Um, and so supporting that is, is obviously something that, you know, more complex data is always something that, you know, we have to consider. So I meant more, more in terms of like how you represent, like how do you, you know, in the, in the parsing or what, what is your, you know, your workflow of parsing stuff and then, uh, representing it in memory and, you know, getting it ready to be permuted. What are the different steps there and how do you, uh, what are the data structures that you're using to model the, those permutated instances of parsed text. Yeah, so we have a, a, a parser that essentially takes a, a, one of our NLG templates. Um, you know, which you can almost think about it as a, um, you know, it, it's a it's a it's a mini program essentially, right? With with text built into it um, because it supports you know if then else type of logic, um, and, and so we have a template structure that you know we store in JSON. Um, that enables us to essentially create a parser that, um, you know, will will when somebody you know clicks save or we automatically save it or if we then go to start generating content from data, um, we can check the validity validity of the template, and then from there we can start plugging in da- you know the data and essentially evaluating the template much like you would a, a simple program, um, and so that also enables us to have a compiled solution. Because we can, you know, if you think about these templates as many programs, and that's essentially what they are, then we can compile those templates into executable code. Um, and so each template essentially acts as a, or can act as a compiled program that can then run completely on premise. So we have both cloud and on premise solutions. That's cool. So what? Are, who are the types of domains where they're looking for an on premise version? Yeah, the, the two primary ones are finance and healthcare. Um, you know, those are you know typically the types of, of customers that can't send their data um, over the internet. You know, to to our to Amazon in this case, and they need to have everything in house. And so, say they're wanting to generate reports um, about you know some internal metrics that they're they're collecting. They don't want to send those metrics um, to our instances in the cloud. They want to have that wholly self-contained. Um, and, and that's actually been a really big uh, service for us because most SaaS offerings don't offer on-prem solutions, or at least they don't very easily. But our solution actually works out fairly well to have an on-premise capability. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there is this pattern of using Wordsmith where 
you know, a company might have a huge back catalog of proprietary data, and then maybe they've got some real-time data that's streaming in, and they also want to have access to some public data sources. And, you know, it's like in most cases, or, or I don't know about you, most cases, but in many cases, it's not like you've got this you know, the CSV, the static CSV that the company has, and they just want to generate all of the uh, permutations for their wordsmith narrative right now. It's like sometimes you might have all of these different disparate data sources, and they're being updated at different time intervals. How do you integrate these different types of data, and how do they get streamed through a narrative? Give me some description of, of how that works. So we made a conscious decision early on not to support um, complex uh, data arrangements within WordSmith out of the gate, um, mostly because, you know, there's already a little bit of a learning curve when it comes to WordSmith and just understanding how mm-hmm. to, to how to create automated narratives. Um, and in fact, there's virtually no tool, tools out there that do that. There are a ton of tools out there that will help you, um, you know, combine data, help you aggregate and, you know, perform calculations on data. And it's not to say that we, we won't get that. We actually have something in the works to help with that. Uh, but we wanted to focus on Wordsmith being, you know, the NLG tool that, that developers and data scientists go to um, if they are trying to, to automate reporting in some way. And so what we, you know, one trade-off that we were able to make is say, all right, we're going to take the data complexity out of the equation by requiring it to be flattened. Um, now, in just about every situation, you can actually flatten any data set, right? That's what I was getting to before where some people are requesting, you know, thousand columns um, in, in the data that they're uploading, which they can do. Um, but in, in most cases, you can flatten data uh, pretty easily. And so it's not to say that you still can't actually do what you need to, even if you have complex data, it may require a step or two beforehand. Uh, we actually have a managed services uh, component of our company that will actually do this for customers if they need it. Um, and all the, you know, in the process, as you know, people become more familiar and comfortable working in WordSmith, we'll be adding more data tools to also help on the data side of things. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Because, uh, yeah, I guess it wouldn't be that hard if somebody has all these different sources of data just to set up hooks to get that data into the format that it needs to be in to be wordsmith compliant and that way you can focus more on the wordsmith product development itself um so that's exactly right the you know we also support zapier as another sort of integration solution so you know, that, that's another way to kind of handle the data problem is, you know, maybe you have your data already in a Google Sheet somewhere and you want to just quickly be able to create a, um, a wordsmith narrative anytime there's a new row added to a Google Sheet. Um, you know, we, we support that. Actually, we have native um, Google Sheets integration as well as native. We have an Excel plugin um, that you can just do it straight from in those tools. But say you had Salesforce or something else and you wanted to create a wordsmith narrative automatically when something occurs. Now with, with, with our Zapier integration, you can do that pretty easily. Um, you know, when I'm interviewing these, uh, when I'm interviewing people who have, have started companies or their CTO or CEO, it, it, it does seem like focus on a specific, on a very specific well-defined aspect of their business is highly correlated with success and uh, particularly the acknowledgement of 
the trade-offs of that focus. And you know, you can think of all kinds of adjacent product opportunities that exist to WordSmith. How in your structuring of the company and your your business strategy, how do you determine what are the adjacencies to focus on versus the core business opportunities? Well, for us, it's it's pretty easy in the early days, just because you know NLG is such a new technology, a new concept for most people that you know just focusing on creating you know the best sort of online experience, creating the best API for it that just does the basics of NLG um, is super important, right? And then from there, there's lots of areas where we can expand. In fact, we are. We have a a dedicated research team, which is, I think, also pretty unusual for a company of our size, but we have a dedicated research team that's also sort of building out the next generation um, advanced capabilities for WordSmith. And so those are like experts in machine learning and, you know, all these things where, you know, we should be able to help the user more than, you know, essentially putting the onus on them to do all the writing. In fact, you know, with your data set, there's lots of things we can do automatically, at least to help you get started, um, as well as tooling to, to help make that process smoother. Um, and, and so, you know, for us, there's there's lots of different directions to go into, lots of integration opportunities. Like I said, we've already released an Excel and Google Sheets plugin. We did a Zapier integration. We have lots of companies exploring, you know, different ways to integrate. But then, at the core, it'll just be, you know, making this the, the easiest NLG system to work with and, and hopefully as much like magic as possible where stuff's just happening and you're getting to take advantage of it without actually having to do a lot. The machine learning uh, areas interest me. The, uh, you know, because the description that we've given for the product so far, it sounds fairly iterative. It's like, okay, you get, you make this static narrative and then you just you just plug in all of the different uh, columns, all the, all the different rows of data you have, and voila, you have your generated pieces of content. Of course, this smacks of a product that has opportunities for machine learning. So what specifically are those opportunities? Yeah, one of the, uh, you know, it's, it's challenging because, while it seems like an obvious area for machine learning, it's actually anytime it comes to natural language, it's it's one of the most challenging areas to do something completely automated. In fact, you know maybe you've even seen or some of your listeners have seen uh, some of the attempts to you know automatically generate a novel, um, or you know there's there's one guy on Medium that is using deep learning to to generate Harry Potter text or to generate some of these other things. Um, and they all, they're actually pretty laughable. You know, I mean, they're readable. You can read it. They don't make much sense. And that's the problem is, you know, humans are so finely tuned to language that it's, it's really difficult just to be 75% right. Like you have to be 99% right to be able to pass. And that's just extremely difficult to do, um, you know, with, you know, the existing you know, technologies or even some of the things that have been envisioned. It's just very difficult to do with tech. Now, again, that's not to say that there's not something that can be done. And in fact, we're working on a bunch of different, um, you know, ways to, to, you know, kind of explore this and, and to help figure out what, what's the most optimal way. Is it a expert system driven type of solution? Is it, you know, maybe there is some machine learning that can at least help with pieces of it, right? So maybe we can help you identify automatically ways to improve or to add more variability in your text. 
um, you know, I, I think we're still a pretty good ways away from us being able to just have a data set and automatically generate the text that you want, um, you know, from that without any additional input, primarily because for any given input, there's almost an infinite number of outputs that you could generate, right? You know, there's the assumption that, well, here, I'm going to just give you my data. I want you to generate the report. And I don't want to do anything. Well, for any, for that data set, I mean, we really could talk about, you know, hundreds, thousands, millions of things. And what are the things you care about? What are the things you, that you're most interested in? Um, and so, you know, that, that's where I think humans will continue to play an active role in the process. Uh, but I do think things will seem more magical as time goes on. You'll, 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 you'll be surprised at how, how much it's able to help while not maybe necessarily doing all of it for you. Uh, what you said is, uh, it's funny because the – some examples, some small examples of people trying to do some something kind of similar is the these systems like X.AI that do the automated uh, replying and scheduling of calendar events for you. And many times they still have to kick the process to a human in the loop and have the human do the last mile of the scheduling. And then also there there was this effort by Google to do a system called Smart Reply where you could just easily, uh, you know, you, can, you, you if you're replying to somebody in an email, maybe Google presents you with three or four different responses that you might want to uh, just one-click reply uh, to people. But th- th- these systems still seem like they're in their infancy. They still, and these are like fairly well-defined domains. Um so, so what are the what do you feel is like the low hanging fruit more specifically in terms of how you can because I mean I guess not only low hanging fruit in terms of the automated content creation but the the low hanging fruit in terms of how this is actually going to measurably benefit your end users. Well, the to me the primary use case has always been about personalization and. You know, sometimes when I tell people, so we, you know, Automated Insights, which is the name of the company, generates over a billion pieces of content a year. And that's more than any other company in the world, which sounds kind of crazy since we're, you know, a relatively small company. But that's true. And the only way that that is true is because it's automated. And, you know, there's been studies, there's been professors that have actually um, taken our content and put it up against human written content. And, you know, people have not been able to tell the difference on average. Um, but even though we generate all that content, you know, people will ask, so why, why do we need that? Or don't we have too much content already? And I completely agree. There's already, there is too much content in the world. The problem is it's of the generic and unpersonalized variety. And in fact, if there was more personalized content created in the world, even though the, the overall number of pieces of content would be greater, the amount that you would have to read as an individual could go down significantly because it could be tailored based on your interest and likes and, 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 and things like that. So, you know, to, to me, that's always been the opportunity is really create personalized stories. That's, that's essentially what we've done with, you know, the Yahoo fantasy football recaps, what we've done in personalized fitness, where we create automated stories that summarize a workout that you just had, um, you know, things of that nature, you know, we can take a per, your portfolio of stocks and bonds and give you a, a weekly summary of, of what happened. You know, those are much more interesting than you going out and reading, um, you know, what's going on with Cisco's stock, what's going on with Facebook stock and reading all those individually, we can roll that all up because we know which ones you're most interested in. 
That's that's a great point. And I, you know, I read these sometimes you see something in your Facebook feed and it's like uh maybe it's like a long editorial about Brexit and like you click on it and it's like 10 pages long and it's like oh my god in the internet age I don't have time to read this and you you start to scroll through it and it's like so many things that are maybe hard to understand if you don't have the correct context. Um but at the same time you can imagine that that article would be a, an important read for people at all different levels, whether you, you know, if, it's a, if it's a New York Times article about Brexit, whether you don't know about Brexit at all, or you're well-versed in uh, geopolitical dynamics, um, that article could, you know, in an ideal world, could contain different degrees of specificity, different degrees of editorial flourishes, different degrees of like level one, like facts, hey, this is what the Eurozone is, etc. Um in an ideal world. Like we you know, if you're reading an article from the New York Times, there's no reason that couldn't be personalized for you. That's right. And you know, the example I like to give is in the sports space, right? I'm I'm a big UNC Tar Hill basketball fan. I like UNC Tar Hill football. Um, I like ACC football in general, uh, but not at the same level as UNC. I like the New England Patriots. I like the Carolina Panthers. I like the Boston Celtics. All right, give me my recap, right? Don't don't make me read about every ACC football recap because I don't really want to read a page about every single ACC football matchup. I just kind of want the highlights, right? And, oh, by the way, since I'm a big UNC fan, that probably means I'm anti-Duke. And so any sort of negative Duke stuff you can give me, I'll take that too. Right. So why can't we have a, a sort of take my preferences together and just give me the things that I'm that's relevant to me versus having to go out and read lots and lots of content just to get the little bit of, of information that I really need. Mm-hmm. So do you think that the the baseline level of skill of a journalist is going to just increase in complexity like As a journalist, are you going to have to think about how to personalize your content in the future? Well, I think there'll be, you know, different flavors of journalists, right? And one of the things that I get asked about a lot is, okay, so now you're, you know, once stories have been automated, I guess that means there's no need to have human journalists anymore. I always find that line of thinking kind of ridiculous, mostly because, you know, the underlying assumption that if you can automate a version of the story, now there's no need for anyone else to write another version of the story, right? Which clearly that's not what happens today, right? You know, (laughs) Trump says something, um, you know, controversial, and there'll be 20 different stories written about that one topic, right? Just because one person wrote about the topic doesn't mean no one else writes about it. And so I, I think, you know, what you'll see is that, you know, there will continue to be more and more automation driven in the in the newsroom and there'll be more types of stories automated. Um, but automation can't cover all the things that happen in the newsroom today, especially things like breaking news, you know, things that are more qualitative in nature. You know, those things still need to be covered by humans and will be for the foreseeable future. So while, there, you know, data reporting will continue to grow in importance, um, you know, I, I don't see that sort of just taking over and being exclusively what what happens in the newsroom. You mentioned these A/B tests where you have, well, I guess researchers ran these where they take an article that's written by a human and an article that's written by Automated Insights, and they measure the differences between them. What are 
like what were the types of conclusions that were drawn from those types of studies what what were the giveaways that something was an automated piece of content well the the uh, sort of the end of it was that the the people taking the the test couldn't tell the difference um, and you know they were asked straight up so is this automated or written by human and and it was sort of 50 50 or you know close close to that that people just couldn't pick out the difference but there were some some general themes that came out of it that that were pretty consistent for example they thought that the stories that that were actually automated were more uh, factually oriented you know or they were more informative um, or they um, you know were more believable even versus the human generated stuff would say they were more entertaining or you know they they um, you know it w- would have more elements that would um, you know more variety of the types of coverage that that it would contain and and see all these are very true but this still the point was that they couldn't tell one from the other um, but I, I think those were pretty accurate in terms of the sort of key assets that you know, automated content brings versus human, you know, automated is going to obviously be very factually oriented. It's going to be, you know, very sort of information driven, human oriented stories, you know, are going to have more qualitative aspects to them. So what are you working on in WordSmith today? What are the biggest engineering challenges that you have? So the biggest engineering challenges still are, you know, sort of that classic, uh, you know, story of, the hardest thing in the world is to make something that's easy to use. <laughs> and, and that's, that's our challenge for sure. Right. It's a, you know, we're, we're trying to, to create a, an environment for people that they've never seen it before. You know, in many cases they didn't even know it existed before they didn't even know they needed it, but now they found, found it and they're interested. And how can we make it such that it's, it's uh, approachable and something that's easy to use, um, and so that's something that, you know, I'm sure we'll continue to, to work on for the foreseeable future. So does that come down to building the right A-B testing infrastructure or or just making the right product intuitions or serving your users? What are the, the techniques? Yeah, it, it's all of those. I mean, you know, you, you as a as a product person, you, you have a lot of tools in the tool belt that you have to rely on. Some of them are, we're just going to go in this direction. You know, if... You know, I'm not one to say that you, you, you listen to your customer for everything, right? If, if we did that, we never would have built this thing to begin with because <laughs> nobody knew – no one ever thought about having a wordsmith before. And so this is something that we invented. So, you know, we have to kind of go out on a limb here. But I think you use customer feedback for course corrections, right? All right, this, this new onboarding approach that we took – um, you know, didn't didn't quite hit the mark, and so we need to change it in some way. Um, hey, let, let's talk to our, our users with surveys and figure out, you know, what are the things that they're liking or not. Um, you, you know, for us, because we have this other challenge of, you know, in, in many cases we're selling cars to people that have only seen horses before. Um, you know, we have to make sure that the way that we're communicating our value proposition on our homepage. Um, is is really well defined because oftentimes people may come in with preconceived notions about, all right, yeah, I'm going to just upload data and it's automatically going to produce the story for me. And they're going to be disappointed if that's what they're expecting, you know, without having done any work. And so we have to make sure that we're, we're also communicating this properly at the front end of the process to ensure we don't lose them on the back end. Got it. Okay. Well, Robbie, thanks for coming on the show. This has been a great conversation. I'm really interested to see where Wordsmith goes and uh, Automated Insights. Thanks. I enjoyed it. Perfect. All right. Talk to you soon. 
Bye. Thanks to Symphono for sponsoring Software Engineering Daily. Symphono is a custom engineering shop where senior engineers tackle big tech challenges while learning from each other. Check it out at symphono.com slash sedaily. That's S-Y-M-P-H-O-N-O dot com slash sedaily. Thanks again, Symphono.